Psalm 119 today. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Psalm 119. Um, we have been, uh, in the summers we work through the Psalms, we call them summer Psalms, and in the fall we'll be back in the book of Ephesians, but uh, uh, today we're picking up in verse 41, and that might seem a little strange, but uh, we have uh, in previous summers actually been working through Psalm 119 as well, and so we've done the, the first few sections of that, and uh, if, you, if you're not uh, aware of Psalm 119 real well, it's actually a huge acrostic, uh, and it begins with, uh, each eight-verse eight section actually begins a, uh, uh, with a Hebrew letter, the 22-letter Hebrew alphabet, and so uh, today we're going to be involved, you'll see that W-A-W, that's a, a Hebrew letter is why it says that. Um, and this entire psalm, Psalm 119, is a beautiful psalm. It reflects uh, the psalmist's just love for the Word of God. And, and as we read it, there's this almost contagious sense when you, when you see how much he loves the Word of God. And, uh, and I hope you catch that today. Um, when we read here in a, in a minute, you're going to see that uh, just in these eight verses, there are eight different terms that the psalmist used for the word Scripture. And... Uh, you can see them there. I'll, I'll read them to you. It says, uh, your promise, your word, your rules, your laws, your precepts, your testimonies, your commandments, and your statutes. And, and while there is certainly some nuance to each of those words that, uh, it, as they're used, in the context that we have here in Psalm 119, that is mostly for poetic reasons. Uh, and you'll see, even the way it's written, in the, even in the English, it is beautifully, beautifully written. So... Uh, let's go ahead and, and read. I'll read. You follow along as uh, you're able before you. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 41. <clears throat> Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. The grass withers and the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord, um, what we have before us is your word. We desire to know it, to understand it, to believe it, to uh, apply it to our lives. And so we ask that you would move in our hearts to stir our love for your word, all of it. We ask that you would fill us with delight from what we learn in your holy word. We ask that you would give us a, a contrite confidence as we come to the scriptures knowing that it is here and here alone where we find the special revelation of yourself to your creation. So change us today, Lord. Make us more prepared to live for your glory in this world and the one to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, instead of working straight through this verse by, by verse, uh, I want to draw our attention to, to really... Uh, four ways that the psalmist relates to God's word, and then look at, at the way that the psalmist actually has nurtured his love for God's word, and how we also might nurture our love for the word of God as well. Uh, and so we're starting in verse 41 in Psalm 119 today, and, 
And uh, this is the first time, actually, in this entire psalm. Remember, already in verse 41, this is the first time that the psalmist mentions the love of God for him. And it's fitting because it's also the first time that the psalmist mentions salvation in the psalm. And what we're seeing here is that always, always the proof of God's love to sinners, his, his love for his people, is the salvation that he provides for us. And that's why he prays here in verse 41, asking that the steadfast love of God and the salvation of God come to him according to God's promises. Uh, that's a statement about faith. You know, don't, don't miss that, you know. We, we tend to miss that sometimes, but don't miss it. It's a statement about faith. And I love that the psalmist here is so certain that, that Scripture is not just a word about God. It's not something someone wrote about God. It is actually God's word. It is God's self-revelation to us. It's, if not for the Scriptures, if you ever realize we, we wouldn't even know what, what God has promised to us? You know, if I make a, a promise to you, and you don't know that I've made this promise, can, can you find any rest in that promise? You wouldn't know course not. But because the psalmist completely trusts in God's word, he, he can say here and mean it, you know, that he, he, he trusts, he, he rests in the promise of salvation that God will provide. And the scriptures are, are, are the standard of what we know. They're the standard for, for what we can trust. We can know uh, everything that's true from that. And, and it's absolutely true. Even as our, our culture shifts, we can hold on to that. <clears throat> Last week, uh, as a family, we're going to, to Hobby Lobby. Um, we're going for me, actually. I, I'm a dork, and I wanted to put these more ribbons in my Bible because um, there weren't enough bookmarks. But anyway, so we're going to Hobby Lobby, and right next to Hobby Lobby is this, uh, the office store that you and I probably call Staples. Uh, but Berkeley, our, our seven-year-old daughter, uh, saw the sign, read it, and said, what is Staples? Stapoos, or something like that. And Becca, our oldest, uh, corrected her, telling her, no, it's, it's called Staples. Uh, but Sadie Piper, our, our middle and our instigator, uh, said, no, it's Stopholes, trying to confuse her. Uh, and as the good father I am, I saw an opportunity to mess with my son. Uh, <clears throat> and so I also said, it's definitely Stopholes. And he held his ground. <clears throat> he held his ground because he was absolutely certain the truth in this case. He knew that it was actually Staples. And I was so impressed by this <clears throat> that he wasn't swayed uh, to, to, to think something other than the truth, even though every other voice in the car at this moment has actually told him the opposite. Uh, and I know, as a parent, I probably should never end up in that situation. Uh, eventually I told him the truth. And, and then I kind of and, and told him, you know, I was impressed because life is like that. You know, what, what the Word of God says is true is true. What, what the Word of God tells us is, is right, is, is right. What it says is wrong, is wrong. Even if everybody around you wants to tell you something different. You know, but before we were, we're done talking about this, Laura wisely added, telling him, this is where wisdom actually showed up in the car. Uh, Beckham, also know that you don't have to convince everyone around you it's really pronounced staples for it, uh, for it truly to be staples. And so don't stress about convincing everyone. Just try to show them the truth and leave it at that. Uh, you know, there's this release in that. There's this relief that you don't have to convince the world of truth. God's word is truth. Believe it. Confirm it. Uh, but that's not a weight on you. Uh, you know, so, so no matter what your age might be, you can find great rest and comfort when, when we come to the word of God and we simply rest in the word of God. 
The second way that the, the psalmist here relates to God's word is, is that he loves it. All of it. I think that's the really amazing thing here. He loves the promises of salvation, right? Who doesn't? He, he loves the statement of boundless grace. Of course we do. Uh, the steadfast love of God, absolutely he loves it, yes. But, but he also loves the commandments. He also loves the, the rules, and that's the part that kind of confuses us sometimes. And yet that couldn't be more clear from his statements here. Look at verse 47. He writes, I, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And in verse 48, the last verse that we're looking at today, he says, I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love. See, only a, a born-again, filled with the Holy Spirit, washed with the blood of the Lamb Christian, can, can say and actually mean that he or she loves the Word of God. And, and observe here, he's not saying, I, I love the law, because I earn my salvation by keeping it. He's not saying that. And we know that explicitly, especially because he's already said in verse 41 that he knows his salvation is according to God's promise, not according to his merit. We're going to come back to this, this, this love of God's word in a minute. But um, right now I want to show you this, this third way that the psalmist here is relating uh, to the scriptures. Uh, and it says here, you know, that, that he hides it in his heart, uh, that it, it flows out of his mouth uh, to those in, in his presence. He speaks God's word. That's what it's getting at. You know, um, maybe, it, maybe it, it, it may be that, uh, that we're so filled up with the word of God. This is the thing we desire of ourselves, you know, that, that we're filled up from sitting under the preaching of the word or teaching or personally reading it on our own time or memorizing that that we'd be so filled up with the word of God that it would absolutely just, just overflow from our hearts, out of our mouths, into the world around us. I mean, that's kind of the, the ideal hope, I think. And so he prays in verse 43. That's a, a prayer. Lord, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. And then in verse 46, he states, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. Isn't that beautiful? You, you know, I, you read that and you, you kind of wonder, was, was Psalm 119 in, in Paul's mind on, on the day that, that Festus comes to him and says, you know what, you're going to stand before Caesar's court in Rome. Was, was this one of those things he looked to with, with hope, you know? Uh, Jesus also in Matthew 10, 17 through 18, he, he warned his disciples that these moments were going to arise in their future. He said, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and, and the Gentiles. And we know with, with Paul in, in the book of Acts, we get to see how it plays out. Acts, you know, Paul was not ashamed, ashamed just like the psalmist here is confident that, that he would not be put to shame for these moments speaking before kings and important people. See, throughout history, Christians have stood confident in, in God's word no matter where they were because they knew what it said was, was true and truth. We think of Martin Luther, John Wycliffe. But you know, for the, the sake of you and I, that's, that's nothing uh, immediate on our lives. For our sake, let's just forget for a second uh, kings and important people. And we ask ourselves that question, you know, will, will we speak the word of God just, between, just before other people, normal people? And, and I ask because there's a lot of pressure today that can, that can lead God's people into feeling ashamed about what his word has to say. See, in our, our culture today, believing what God's word said will, will make you seem insane to some people. It'll make you seem ignorant to many people, maybe even wicked and, and unloving in the eyes of, of some. 
which, which is odd for us. I know that particularly the, the older you are in this congregation today, the, the more you know this. But, uh, you know, historically in the United States, the, the, the scriptures have been the standard for what is right and, and what is considered normal. Which means that overwhelmingly, as, as Christians, we have, we have found ourselves with the word of God before us that is deciding, you know, this is what is wicked according to our, our culture. It's according to God's word. Well, unfortunately, those, those days are gone. Uh, the ship has sailed. Uh, it's left, left port. It's gone. And what we find increasingly today is that the, the media and the, and the just majority view in our culture decides what's normal. Um, that, the, uh, that the opinion, you know, isn't the same as what Scripture says is what we're finding over and over again. And, and when we confess, you know, that we believe things... That the, you know, like, uh, things like the only proper marriage is, is between a man and a woman. Or even if we, if we simply won't affirm as, as good and great uh, uh, homosexuality. What ends up happening is you, you're called wicked for that. Um, or if you believe that, that gender is given by God at conception. And it's not something chosen later in life based on what someone feels. You know, just simple things like that, that those will make you seem cruel in our world today. Um, it goes beyond ethics, though, right? I mean, your, your view of, of God and sin and eternity can, can make you seem wicked in the eyes of many today. To say that, that Christianity is the only true faith or that Jesus is the only way to, to truly be forgiven of our sin, all of that will get you labeled as, as intolerant. It'll get you labeled as downright unloving, even wicked. And, and, and here's the deal. We must always love, right? Just, just as God has loved us. Meaning we, we must love the neighbor who might label you wicked. And we do so because we, we trust the word of God. And the word of God calls us to that. Uh, you know, what is it uh, Jesus said in John 15? He, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's not that... These are the kind of things that would surprise our Savior. We just maybe hoped our generation would skip it, right? That we'd miss it. And so let the world hate you because of your commitment to God's word, but may it never hate you because you simply are cruel, rude, um, you know. Don't, don't use the excuse that you're a Christian if, if your neighbor hates you because you're a jerk. Don't, don't be a jerk. Um, and really, this is, this is nothing new for, for God's people in history. It's new for us, but it's not new for his people. Uh, when, when the Israelites told Samuel they, they wanted a king, remember he, he spoke to them God's word, and he, and he said to them, you know, a, a king is going to put you to work for his own purposes. A, a king is going to take your, your sons and your daughters and, and put them to work for his purposes as well. <clears throat> and still the Israelites refused to, to listen. Uh, they refused to obey, saying in, in 1 Samuel uh, eight nineteen, no. But there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations. See, even as a, a nation in that sense, they, they desired to fit in with those around them so much that it led them into this rebellion against God and, and, and into great troubles for many years as a result of that. And I, I say this so that we might be prepared always to speak the truth in love and, and for us to understand that the truth comes from the word. And again, you don't have to convince the world of these things for them to be true. But the Lord has given us his truth and his word, and we can rest in that. Um, now look at verse 45. You've got your Bibles open for you still. Uh, sorry, verse 44. Verse 44, he says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Is he, 
claiming to be perfect there. He's not. Um, but, but this does show us the fourth way that we see the psalmist relate to God's word. You see, his, his aim is obedience to God's word. That's his desire. That's what he's aiming for. And I, uh, I don't even know that, that we aim for obedience to God's word much anymore. In fact, even saying that feels a little weird, like, like maybe I'm saying something anti-grace. Uh, like maybe I'm encouraging you to do something other than to, to rest in all that the Lord has done for you. Don't, don't view it that way. Our, our salvation in Christ is accomplished 100% by Christ. It is a, a true gift of God given to us, uh, given to you and, and me and anyone whose faith is in Christ absolutely free at no cost to you. Know that. But our, our Christian life is, is more than our salvation and our justification. And, and we do wish to be more like, say, uh, like our Savior Jesus. Not, not to earn any merit. Not, not for any other reason than the fact that, that we love him. That's what he desires for us. Um, and sometimes I, I, I love this though. Because sometimes we just need to be told, try. It's okay to try. Uh, there's nothing hugely at stake here, but try. You know, uh, one of my, my wife's best friends in childhood uh, said she remembers the day that, that swimming changed for her. Uh, she had been on a, a swim team, and, and they would tell her to swim laps, and she'd jump in, and she'd just swim, you know, go to the other side, come back, and, and just generally swim. And, and then one day, her, her mom told her before she got in to, to go swim, she said, Carolyn, today I want you to try to swim fast. Just, just try. That's it. She said she did. She listened to her mom. She did try, and, and from that day forward, she began to just blow everyone away around her. and It was a completely different experience. She found uh, this joy in this swimming. She found that she prog progressively became better at swimming. Eventually, she, she went to UCLA on a, on a scholarship for swimming. And, and again, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that, that we are to, to try and do this so that God will love you more. Um, you know, I'm not saying this, that, that somehow the more sanctified you are, the more God cares about you. Carolyn's mom wasn't, wasn't saying, try hard in swimming, and then I'll love you, or, or try hard, and then I'll love you more. That wasn't the statement at all. She was telling her child to, to try because she did love her, that she knew it would be good for her, that it would give her more joy in, in swimming that she's been called here to do. And, and so when we read things like Philippians 2.14 that, that tells us, do all things without grumbling, if you're like me, my temptation sometimes to read that and be like, oh, yeah, all things without grumbling, and just kind of forget about it. Uh, you know, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> this is kind of the point. Uh, maybe actually try to do all things without grumbling. I know, right? Mesmerizing. Um, there is value in aiming at obedience in our life. Good value. Uh, verse 45 here says, I, I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Um, a, a wide space, that might sound odd at first. Uh, what, it, what it means poetically is it's, it's freedom is what it's talking about. Um, that's not the way most people view Christianity when they, they see a phrase like that, right? That freedom and walking according to God's precepts go hand in hand. Many look at, at Christianity from the outside and, and they would describe it as a bondage to the law of God instead of freedom in the love of God. You know, they, they see these rules and they think, and they see the word and they think, oh, it says you can't do this and you can't do that. It's, it's so restricting, I can't do anything. You know, many, many tend to think 
in rejecting God's authority that in their life that suddenly they become free. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller puts this well. It's, you know, it says, he said, he said, if God is not ruling us, something else is. Sin and, and habit, need for others' approval, anxiety, desire for money and success. But when God is in charge, these things lose their inordinate power over us. See, our freedom... When scripture speaks of our freedom, our freedom is from the slavery of sin. You know, positively, our freedom is for godliness. And so the psalmist sees it rightly. He understands this. This doesn't mean that he can't just, you know, do whatever he wants now. It's way greater than that. It means he can do whatever it is that God desires him to do for his good and for the glory of God. There's this freedom in being able to respond to the Lord in the way he calls us to. And so we've been, we've been building to this, this last way. Oh, we're getting near the end here. The, the psalmist relates to God through his word, right? This is the last way he relates to God through his word. And you'll see it there in verse 47. He says, I find my delight in your commandments. Not many of us, if any of us at all, can, can say to God that statement, I find my delight in your commandments, at least not with great consistency in our, our lives. Um, we today have greater access to God's word than any culture in the history of the world, ever. And our response to it is mostly, well, that's it. You know, we mostly just don't care. And I, and I don't say that to, to, to hang this, this, you know, this heavy stone of, of weight around your neck. I, I say it just simply for this reason. I, I do want us to come to something like this. I do want it to, to, to stir up our, our hearts that we might find delight in God's wonderful word. That we might delight in the promises of God and his word. And, and learn to, to know Jesus better and better through his word. And learn to walk in the freedom of God's wide open spaces. And, and so we can not, not only delight but rest in all that, that God has done for us on the cross. You know? And, and so let me give you just two ways that we can, we can seek this delight uh, that God offers his, his children his word. First, we can pray for new taste buds. Um, you probably remember in your, your own childhood even that there were things that tasted terrible to you as a child. And, and as you grew, suddenly you're like, wow, this is good. This is amazing. What is this? And, and you're like, you know, you find out it's something you've hated your whole life. And, and the reason is, is that um, as we grow, as we mature, our taste buds actually change. They mature and things taste better to us that didn't previously taste better to us. And so one of the things we can do is to earnestly ask God to, to change what you desire. Ask him to, to give you those taste buds to, to love it. And, and it is, it is such a joy. I think I mentioned before, I used to hate avocado when I was a kid. It was, get that away from me, I think I'm going to throw up. And, you know, now I'll use a shiv on my child before they can get to my avocado. I love this stuff. A shiv's a little knife, in case you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> forget, my wife asked me what a shiv was once. I don't know why I know, but. <laughs> um, so, you know, earlier in the psalm, the, the author is, is making this request. And when I say earlier, I mean before the section we're looking at today. In verse 19, he prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your, out of your, your law, out of your word. And he knows, you know, that the word of God is a, a gift of God for his people. And that's why I love that later in the psalm, after our section, 
uh, we see how much God has answered this prayer when he zealously proclaims in verse uh, 103 to God, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He loves them. He loves God's word. And so first, let's just ask God in prayer earnestly that he might give us delight in his word. And so the, the second thing I want to show you here is in, in verse 48. Look, it, it says, I will meditate on your statutes. That's, that's big. And unfortunately, we tend to just cruise by these things. It's, it's really big, though. You know, you see, you have been created by God. Doesn't matter if you agree with that statement or not, you simply have been created by God. And, and, and by his design, one distinctly human characteristic is that you actually stop and you ponder things. You, you meditate. Not always about amazing things, but we do stop and ponder things. You know, animals don't do that. And I know you dog and cat people think they do. You know, when your dog makes an adorable turn head thing, oh, he's thinking about stuff. He's not deep in thought. He's, he's not, you know. He's, he's not sitting there thinking, oh, you know, it seems my master doesn't like it when I pee on the floor. I should do some research on that. That's not what he's thinking. He's just tilting it. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but your pet, it doesn't ponder life as we know it. But you do. We do. Humans do. We ponder a lot of stupid stuff, but we also ponder a lot of amazing stuff. We're, we're, we're human, and meditation is part of our God-given design. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of, of God, that phrase we hear. And we, what's that mean? Well, we, we ponder things, for one. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us that in Psalm 119, seven times in the entirety of the psalm, not our little section here, but the entirety of the psalm, the psalmist makes reference to meditating on God's word. Because it's, it's something that, that you and I as, as Christians, as God's children, ought to be doing. And, and that means we've got to know what meditating on Scripture is. Because it's not the pop culture idea that, you know, you empty your mind of everything, just nothingness. Um, it's not nothingness. It, it, it is the God-given gift of filling your mind with substance, with biblical, scriptural substance. Um, it says, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I, I like to think of meditating um, on scripture like marinating. Uh, I love steak fajitas. goes with my avocado really nice. Um, but I love steak fajitas, and, I, and they are the best when, when someone has taken the time to just marinate them, to soak them overnight in some sort of marinade, and, and it's the best because those flavors soak to the core of that meat, and every bite that you have just bursts with those flavors. It's wonderful. It, it improves the meat, and, and that's what soaking in, in God's Word does to you and I. Uh, it, it makes us flavorful with the Word of God. It soaks to our core. It's, it's why in Joshua 1.8, when, when God is speaking to Joshua, and, and he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And when God says that to him, he's not just saying, Joshua, you should have some familiarity with this, you know. Be able to get around if I actually look something up. Um, he doesn't just mean, you know, study it so you understand what it means. He's, he, he's, he means that you should be mesmerized by God's word so that your life is built upon this, so that it directs your decisions, so that all aspects of your life are, are driven by what, what is in this. 
Christian, when, when, when you read the scripture, engage with the scripture. Don't just read it to check it off. You know, be, be looking into it, asking, you know, how should I respond to what I'm reading here? Uh, you know, after, you, after reading, you should be able to state at least, you know, at least one specific response that you should have. And it doesn't always have to be go do something, but something, you know, uh, either an act of, of faith, a, a better understanding of who God is, a, a reason to worship or to praise God, maybe a thanksgiving to God or uh, a prayer to God. It might mean that you need to start doing something that you're not currently doing in your life because God calls you to it. Or it might mean you need to stop doing something sinful in your life that you shouldn't be doing. It could be going and asking someone for forgiveness that you're suddenly aware of deeply how, how badly you've, you've sinned against them. Or, or maybe just that you need to encourage someone who suddenly you see in the Word and you know, okay, they need encouraging like this. And you go and you encourage someone. So as we're reading, we've got to be asking ourselves, what, what is God's word calling me to do in response to this? And, and here's, here's the deal. Uh, meditation on God's word takes time. Um, that's probably why we don't do it. Uh, at some point, you, you just got to ask yourself this, this question. You've got to be able to answer for yourself this question. Is, is this worth my time? Right? Do, do I believe it is worth my time to the extent that I will actually give it my time to do this? See, you, you might find yourself just, just sitting and, and reading slow and, and meditating, and, and then sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do that, and you'll give it a day, and you'll walk away, and you'll be like, I didn't get nothing out of it. I'm done with that. I tried. I, I don't want you to do that tomorrow, this afternoon. You know, it, it takes some time, right? And I'm asking you, take, take some time to make the, the long commitment to something like this, to develop our, our taste for the Word of God, that we'll actually spend some time in it. And I, I know when you hear sermons like this, the, the big question is, what's it look like, right? Can, can you walk me through this? What's it actually look like? You know, perhaps you're, you're reading a larger portion of Scripture. Maybe, maybe you're deep into your, your Bible and a reading plan, and you're like three months behind, but, but that's okay. You're still going. Um, and it's chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, and, and something catches your attention, and you kind of read back over it. And you, and you read there, and, and the first verse in chapter 6 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And you could just keep going, right? I've got to be at work, I've got to be at school, I've got to be wherever I've got to be, and I'm in a hurry. But, but, but what, if, what if you just linger there? You know, it's okay if you end up seven months behind in your Bible in the year thing tomorrow. What if you just linger there for a minute and, and you read again slowly, asking questions about it, looking at the, the smaller as, uh, you know, aspects of this verse, you know, uh, now you're finding yourself meditating on the Word of God. You know, what's it say here? Be beware of what? Oh, it, oh, that's a warning, right? Beware, that's a warning of, of what? Uh, of practicing my righteousness before other people. Practicing righteousness. What's that? Is that? That's good works, right? That's like godly things. Does it say I shouldn't do godly things? No, it's telling us we certainly should do them. What's the point then? Oh, I, I shouldn't do them in order that others might see my godly works and be impressed by me. So I've got to keep an eye on my heart. And, you know, am I, am I seeking the applause of, of my peers here or in this? Or am I seeking the pleasure of my God in this who already loves me? And you just keep looking through this, right? You know, it also says if I, if I do it hoping to impress others, that, that's all the reward I'll get. So there must be a, a greater reward if I don't. 
You know, and you just keep asking these questions in your mind and start thinking through it. You know, I, I don't know what that is, but if my Father in Heaven is giving the reward, I'm, I'm sure it's greater than the applause of man. And, and, and you see this. Some of the things you love when people teach Scripture is it's their own meditations on, on these things. Uh, Tony Rink wrote a book recently um, called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And he wrote down kind of his meditation on this verse, and he, and he paints this picture by applying it to, to, to Facebook. He writes this, he says, Imagine setting aside a few weeks of your summer vacation to travel on dirt roads and bump around in loud jeeps, winding deep into remote jungle villages in Central America. You risk fevers, diseases, and heat stroke, all in order to help build an orphanage for 20 destitute kids. At the end of the month, you step back and take a selfie with your handiwork in the background and post it with pride on Facebook. Poof, the reward is gone. In one humble brag selfie, the trade is made. Eternal reward from God is sold for maybe 80 likes and 12 comments of praise for you. And that's, that's his meditation on, on Matthew 6. Sometimes I read that, I'm like, how did he get there? You get there by, by meditating on it. See, the, the word of God collides with our daily ways of living when, when we meditate upon it. That's how it soaks into our lives, right? And, and this is good for, for our prayer life as well. I don't, I don't know if you realize that, but we, we take what we're, what we're learning in Scripture and, and you begin to just pray whatever it is you're learning. You know, you know suddenly I, I find myself in, in Matthew 6, if suddenly I find myself just praying for wisdom on how I engage with social media or, or you know, how can I best practice righteousness in a way that seeks the pleasure of God and, and not the applause or the praise of my fellow men and women. Christians, let us seek the joy of the Lord in the word of the Lord. You know, may we, may we be learning what it means to, to linger in the scriptures as we seek to find our, our delight in the goodness that God reveals to us there. This, this is sweeter than honey. I mean, you, you find the word of God, you, you have it. It's available to you. You have a thousand different mediums. You can read it today. But it's It's wonderful. And sometimes we don't know it because we just scarf through it so quickly. Or we let ourselves starve during the week, you know. I, I had some on Sunday. No one says it about food. And, I, and I'm telling you, this is not a heavy yoke. This is for your good. It's for your joy that you want to be in the Word of God. Feasting. Let's pray.